I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Michael Hamilton, former CISO of the City of Seattle, a policy advisor to Washington State, and current CISO of healthcare cybersecurity firm CI Security. Michael will be speaking to me about the cyber attack on San Diego based Scripps Health that was discovered on May 1st, but has been impacting the organization for weeks. So, Michael, Scripps has been describing the incident as involving malware, but it's widely reported to have involved ransomware. I understand that you're somewhat familiar with the situation at Scripps. What was the nature of the ransomware attack as far as we know? What can you tell us about what happened? So I have a little bit of inside data that I probably shouldn't share, but that doesn't really have anything to do with this question. It's just reading between the lines where they talk about people that can't get their insurance validated as to whether or not it will cover a procedure and their patient portal is down. What that suggests is what's been impacted, and I think this is fairly common knowledge now, is their electronic health record system. And so if their electronic health records system was impacted, that's really the keys to the kingdom. One thing that's not being discussed right now is the extent to which records have been disclosed and are in the possession of these perpetrators. But I think just based on the information that's public and the things that aren't working now, if we assume that their EHR system has been impacted, it's also a good assumption that They took all the records away from that. So I think there's a good deal of negotiation going on right now, not only about the magnitude of the extortion demand, but trying to recover those records and ensure that they are not disclosed publicly, because that would just add to the impact of the Scripps organization. So, Michael, when it comes to this whole negotiation process and the recovery process, it appears to be taking a long time. When you think about, you know, healthcare, it's sort of at the moment. Is this typical, though, for ransomware attacks that do affect large healthcare systems? Is there a lot of not only recovery that has to be done, but there's also negotiation behind the scenes because there's such an urgency in terms of being able to get access to that data and not have it be disclosed publicly belonging to the patients? So the answer is yes. I think there's another issue in scope here as well, and that is the integrity of the records. So if I can compromise your electronic health records system and I can steal records from that system, I can also change them. And the integrity of records, in my view, could have a greater impact on patient care than just the unauthorized disclosure, you know, the confidentiality of those records. So I think that may be part of what's taking so long as well. They want their records back Right? And this is conjecture, but again, just kind of you know reading between the lines from all the public reporting, they want the records back. They want to make sure they haven't been changed, and they're trying to get out for as little cost as possible. Remember, there's an insurance company involved here, and that insurance company is very likely spearheading the negotiations, and their business model is to get out as cheaply as possible. So there is a trade-off here between getting back to work and doing that by just restoring the entire environment from backup 
if that's possible, because sometimes backups are impacted, we haven't heard that, versus paying the ransom and just moving on. So this delay indicates to me that the, the perpetrators really have the most leverage here. And it's, it's become difficult for the insurance company to get out and they're still negotiating this. But the fact that it's taking so long to conclude tells me that the, the gang, the ransomware gang, they have quite a bit of leverage. Is there any indication publicly on what ransomware gang or cyber criminals are involved with this attack? I've heard that it was Conti, but again, that's something I've heard. It's six to one, two pie of the other, as far as I'm concerned. There are not a lot of features to distinguish between one or the other, apart from the, the brand of malware that they use and, and some of their tactics. The double extortion tactic, right? We have your records. So if you decide you want to restore everything from backup and not pay us, we're going we're gonna to make all the records public. That is likely the tactic being used here. So, but I don't think that's respective to any one gang. So it's maybe it's Conti, maybe it's Revil, Riuk, could be any of them. So, Michael, you brought up a, an important point there about data integrity. You don't want your data be, to be returned only to find out that patient records were tampered with. We hear so much about confidentiality of patient records and availability when it comes to the EHRs. How much of, the, of a concern is the data integrity issue when it comes to the evolving threats that we're seeing, the evolving attacks? Is that becoming more of a concern that hackers will begin messing around with the integrity of data, changing? records and you're not really quite sure that when you get your data back, it's actually what you had before it was stolen? That's a great question. And I am seeing that come up more and more in public reporting. We really need to worry about the integrity of these records as well as the confidentiality. And it's not so much the records that they're going to return because they're, you know, it's, they're not going to return records. They're going to, they're going to destroy what they have. And, and how that's verified is kind of beyond me. I don't know exactly how you can prove that that's happened. But access to the electronic health records system prior to encrypting it and stopping its operation, you know, if they messed around with any records that are in there, those are changed. And so if they decrypt all this, They've got their records back, but are they the same records? So again, I've seen this come up more and more in reporting, talking about how potentially this issue could be the one that's way more important, but I don't know that we're really focusing on this. I think right now, Scripps is focusing on this. It's what I would do, and I'm not talking to the folks down there, but you know, this is the thing because the mission of Scripps Health is patient care. If patient care is going to be impacted by records you can't trust, that's a problem. So I believe Scripps is looking at that. So, Michael, with that said, when it comes to data integrity and the concerns that healthcare sector entities need to have, or maybe they already have, about the potential of these attacks impacting the integrity of patient data, what do they need to be doing that perhaps they haven't been spending enough attention on to make sure that if these records are indeed hacked, attacked, encrypted, that this data is not going to be changed and tampered with in a way where it could affect patients? Well, there would be a number of ways to do that. You could just compare it against a reference standard of records, but they but they change so quickly, that's probably very hard to do. One thing that they could do is every time a record is changed, create a cryptographic hash 
of that, right? So a, a one-way cryptographic hash will turn a record into a string of garbage that is of a standard length. And then if you ever need to check the integrity of that, you create that cryptographic hash again and compare it to the one that you previously had. This is the way, for example, software when it's deployed is checked against a cryptographic algorithm in this way to make sure that you're actually getting the right software from Microsoft or Cisco or whoever. So that's a pretty commonly used technique. I'm not sure that that's used in the health sector, but this may be one of the lessons learned. So Michael, as you know, we've been seeing a slew of recent attacks on the healthcare sector besides Scripps in the U.S., the Irish Department of Health, which is yep. responsible for health policy, and Ireland's Health Service Executive, which is the nation's state-run health services provider, were also recent ransomware victims. If you start to dig around into how these ransom attacks are happening from a technology perspective, what are making healthcare sector entities globally so vulnerable to these incidents? Well, it's a number of things. Um, first of all, hospitals and clinics are known to use legacy technology and operating systems because the manufacturers of equipment like MRI systems only infrequently certify their products for use with upgraded technology. The health sector has recently implemented new technology to facilitate telehealth and work from home for employees. Both, both of these have increased the attack surface, if we can call it that, of the sector, and these exposures are all being exploited. The health sector also operates on thin margins, and resourcing security is a very difficult thing to prioritize. So the health sector, and especially rural health, cannot compete for professional practitioners because their, their salaries can't match what's being paid in other sectors like IT. So it's this confluence of events you know, starting with legacy technology and ending up in the just the inability to have staff that is focused on security. So that's partially what facilitates all this. It's also the fact that the health sector is so critical that they're being targeted. If you're critical and you, you cannot stand any disruption in your operational continuity, you're going to do anything you can to get back to work and you know, that's paying the ransom. So the business of ransomware knows how to target these sectors that are the ones that are most likely to pay. And the health sector is the top of that list. So Michael, as you said, the healthcare sector is such an important part of the nation's critical infrastructure. What role do you think the federal government should be playing in aiding healthcare sector organizations when they are crippled by cyber attacks like the one we saw on Scripps? So I think it's a number of things. First of all, the health sector needs backup from the federal government that they're not getting right now. The reason the health sector is one of the critical sectors as designated by Homeland Security some time ago is because that disruption of that sector results in the potential impact of loss of life, but certainly it disrupts the, the social fabric of the United States. These were the original definitions used in creating the critical sectors to prevent terrorism. So one thing that the federal government could do is start to change the rhetoric around how this is happening. You've gone after this critical sector, you are a terrorist. You're not a criminal, you're a terrorist. And if we start talking like that, we're going to give a lot of these gangs pause, especially the ones that are either tacitly or overtly supported by the government where they reside. 
You know, it's it's an open secret that in Russia, for example, there is outright collusion between their intelligence and military and these criminal gangs to the extent that they even trade tools. So the government starts talking about this in a way that is likely to equate these criminal operators with the kind of people we throw into Gitmo. They're going to think twice. Another thing, and this is interesting, and this is also kind of reading between the lines on my part, um, Secretary Mayorkas has proposed a $25 million fund that he calls the Response and Recovery Fund. And if a fund like that was used to bring critical infrastructure organizations like the health sector back online after something like this, and combine that with an outright prohibition on paying ransom, what we would do is break the business model of these ransomware operators. So I think a couple of things, you know, financial backup, but also just letting these operators know the full weight of the federal government of the United States is going to be coming down on your neck if you keep this up. So yeah, there are things the federal government can do, and I'm looking forward to these things happening because we're losing. We are losing. We make no mistake about it, we are losing. So Michael, with that said, as the Scripps attack was playing out a couple of weeks ago, so was the recent ransomware attack on Colonial Pipeline, another company in another critical sector, the energy sector. What lessons? are emerging that you think the healthcare sector might learn from the colonial pipeline attack. And when it comes to ransoms, it was also reported that colonial pipeline has admitted to paying a $4.4 million ransom. What do you say about that? Well, apart from, you know, my previous comments on what the federal government can do for that sector, you know, the health sector, it's the same thing. It's, it, it applies to any critical infrastructure. So the payment of the ransom, again, an insurance company was involved. They're trying to get out as cheaply as possible. And if the company deemed that payoff was the way out and they were able to negotiate that down, because it's not likely it started at $4.4 million. It was probably more like $20 million. You know, they were able to get that down. That's the exit they're going to choose. Unfortunately, this did not prevent Colonial from having to do their own restoration from backup. So they probably learned a lesson there. You know, my takeaways from this are, first of all, ransomware decryption is notoriously unreliable, and that fact should factor into negotiation with these criminals. For the oil and gas sector in particular, this is interesting. The oil and gas sector is neither adequately regulated for cybersecurity controls, nor is it subject to market forces from, for example, consumer expectations, right? Market forces are, hey, you lost all my data. I'm never going to patronize your business again. That's the way the market works. But the the pipeline here can't work that way. So it's fallen through the cracks as critical infrastructure, and this needs to be corrected immediately. So the sector-specific agency that adjudicates regulatory oversight for pipelines is actually the TSA. It's Transportation Security Administration. So the TSA is likely now going to do what a number of other sector-specific agencies have done, and they're going to say, okay, pipelines, you're now going to have to assess yourselves against the NIST framework and supply the assessment results and a corrective action plan. And we're going to do the same thing that we've always done. Communicating standards of practice doesn't seem to move the needle much. 
But again, if there was an outright prohibition on paying ransom and it was backed up by Secretary Mayorkas fund, response and recovery fund, we're going to put these people out of business. And one strategy is, okay, we need to be more secure. Here are some standards and we're going to audit you against these rinse, repeat, or we can destroy the business model of these perpetrators. And I don't think we've spent enough time trying to do that. I'll say one more thing too. Anonymous cryptocurrency transactions facilitate this crime and some regulation is necessary there as well. Thank you, Michael. I've been speaking to CISO Michael Hamilton. I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.